It's not giving me the old shirazzle-dazzle though. Hello and welcome to Grape Culture, the podcast where three women drink wine and discuss feminist literature, pop culture and issues. I am Sam. I'm Kim. And I'm Ali. And we hope you enjoy the episode. On this week's episode, we are going to be talking about Doctor Who. But before we get into that, we have some wine to talk about. So what has everyone got to match with the adventures of space and time travel? Well, um, I sent you guys a message this week in the hopes that we might all be able to get the same wine. But I know that um, Alex wasn't able to get hold of it uh, because of time and life. So Sam and I have the same wine for Mm. the first time in a while, Mm. which is the Stella Organics Starcatcher Shiraz, um, organic and fair trade, vegan friendly, and with no added sulfur. This is from Minimus, um, of course. It is described as, the semi-arid landscape of the Western Cape bakes under the midday sun. By night, the countryside is drenched in cold, brilliant starlight. Here in this land of extremes, Stella creates distinctive organic fair trade wines produced in harmony with earth and her rhythms. This wine was made from selected parcels of Shiraz grapes from the sun-drenched Western Cape. This juicy red is made with no added sulphur, giving it a purity of expression. Notes of jammy red fruits and plum with a medium-bodied mouthfeel and clean fruity finish. So it sounds quite wanky wanky is definitely the word but the reason that I wanted us to try this one is obviously because of the label the whole star catcher you know time travel space travel alien planets etc aspect of Doctor Who just saying words (laughs) space dust time space space, alien targets things stuff and things um wibbly wobbly timey wimey also because it's a pretty label and that it's vegan friendly so that's what sam and i have alex what did you pick up so i uh went to my local co-op um and i was not expecting to see anything that would relate to doctor who that i'd have to have a very very tenuous link I mean, it is reasonably tenuous anyway, but I literally saw it on the shelf and was like, yes, that is it. Um, unfortunately, it's not going to mean much to listeners because it is a visual reason. Um, <laughs> but it is uh, the, co- I mean, I'm assuming it's just the co-op's own brand, but it's the Chilean Sauvignon, Sauvignon Blanc um, Wine of Chile 2020. And the label feels very much like a Van Gogh painting and even has a sunflower there's lots of colors that are very much Van Gogh as well and it reminded me of the Van Gogh episode in Doctor Who with Mm -hmm. Matt Smith which is one of my faves makes me cry every time now's a bad time to mention that I had two bottles of wine last night and I was feeling a bit delicate today but (laughs) (laughs) haha (laughs) No. <laughs> oh, that is the wine disgust face where you kind of like shrink, shrink in yourself <laughs> and then your neck does a little no no. Like a dick in cold water when you're just like, oh no. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm not feeling this. And I've had the tiniest tip. What do you Kim, you're blowing your nose. Get it out. <laughs> oh, I didn't read my tasting notes, I've just realised. No, you didn't. Oh, well, I'll tell you now and then I'll tell you if it matches on my first tasting. Vibrant, fresh and aromatic. Val Centrelle enjoys the perfect balance of cooling winds from the Andes mountains and Pacific Ocean breeze to give a classic, crisp, hibiscus character marked with refreshing acidity. I mean, it is quite hibiscus-y and it is quite acidy. Is so there a white wine that isn't marked with refreshing acidity? Because I swear that is a tasting note on every white wine. How are you finding oh, yours? Oh, on the back it says refre- refreshing palette of lemon and limes. Complemented with bright citrus acidity. There you go. But how can lemon and lime be complemented with citrus acidity? Because it is citrus. Well, they're just one of the same thing. There is no complementing there. They lie. Sauvignon Blanc 2020 of co-op. Oh, it's 2020. That's why it's shit. So's ours. Yeah. That's... Oh, that's why it's shit. <laughs> Everything um, twenty twenty is shit. Yeah, it's my my feeling is it's a little bit bland. It's like yeah, I I see what they mean about the jamminess. It's not like rich jam. It's like jam you get in a tiny pot. 
effects of like you know when you in bed and breakfast (laughs) (laughs) this is where you have to use two to even like spread this is like hand handmade from a family orchard jam this is yeah (laughs) tiny bed and breakfast jam i'm not Not... getting any jamminess oh well you're missing out on bed and breakfast jam (laughs) i mean i did have I did pair this with a gourmet dinner of McDonald's, so maybe that's the problem. Hero. So we have bland, bland bed, bre- bed and breakfast wine. <laughs> and Alex, yours is, yours is what? Uh, mine is lemon and lime complemented by citrus fruits. Okay. So you've got so yours is lemonade. It is a cheap bottle of plonk that I will enjoy probably more than I would enjoy the Stargazer Red. Doctor Who, big space, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, longest-running TV show ever? Is that right? I can't remember. Either way, it's been running for over 50 years. Really fucking long time. Really long time. Um, BBC how, show... How many, how many Doctors? How many Doctors? We're on 13 Doctors, plus the War Doctor, um, who was lovely John Hurt. Yeah, it's been running since the 60s. Um, was one of the biggest exports of the BBC, loved all over the world. Um, we're talking about it now because we are into the festive period and there will be a festive special. Um, but anyway, yeah, so it seems like a good point to, to talk about the place of Doctor Who in pop culture, the depictions of its female characters and why we think people like it so much. So who watches it? I mean, we know the answer, but for the benefit of our listeners, <laughs> who, who watches Doctor Who? I absolutely love, love Doctor Who. Always have done. Um, used to watch it when I was a tiny child. Can't remember much of the episodes themselves. So I probably won't quote much of them during this episode. But have rekindled my love since uh, the regeneration <laughs> of it uh, in the modern world. And uh, me watching as an adult massive doctor who fan there was a gap for about 15 20 years wasn't there between sylvester mccoy and christopher eccleston taking the mantle back up in 2005 did they ever say why they brought it back someone wanted to i think <laughs> because they wanted to and the people yeah. have shit tons of money <laughs> kim how about you um yeah i i have no, i'm not much a Doctor Who person like I've watched I think the Eccleston series and a little bit of the David Tennant and then like the odd episode here and there I'm mostly familiar of it familiar with it through gifts on tumblr not for any not for any particular reason like a long time ago I I didn't think it was really my cup of tea sci-fi is not really my cup of tea and then I I started watching it and I was enjoying it and then it just like so many tv shows just went the way of i don't feel like watching this and then i wanted to watch a few more episodes in anticipation of us recording but kind of just didn't couldn't get to it but um yeah i i kind of have a like appreciation for it as a thing that exists that i respect as a tv show but it's not very high on my list of things to get into to get into well what about you sam yeah, I'm the same as you, Alex. I watched it when I was younger. I remember watching particularly the John Pertwee era when it was on reruns on the Beeb. Um, and John Pertwee, John Pertwee was the third Doctor, third or fourth? Um, no, third, because fourth was Tom Baker. So, yeah, I watched it then and I just remember John Pertwee was like, he was like the Kung Fu Doctor in a cape, um, which was a bit weird, seeing this very old white man kind of using MMA to take people down, um, <laughs> take down some aliens. And then, yeah, I started watching it again with the, when it was rebooted in 2005. Although I do have a bit of a weird relationship with it, which is every time the Doctor changes, I stop watching. I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like but it. I think that's understandable. You grow an affection to a particular person, much like, you know, their assistants. They're like, no, not you. I feel like much the same. We're taking all that journey where we're like, I completely trust you to solve all the problems in the world and be this amazing person. And then suddenly they're changing. You're like, no. Yeah. I watched it religiously. And then when David Tennant left, I didn't watch Matt Smith for about three years. And then I haven't watched since the end of the first Capaldi season. So I haven't seen the last Capaldi season. I've seen one episode from when Jodie Whittaker took over. Um, But yeah, I love it. 
clearly, which is why I watch it every three years. <laughs> <laughs> I feel though, like, I don't know about you guys, I think we've spoken about this in past episodes um, and also off the podcast. At the moment, it, with the whole world to shit with coronavirus and lockdown, I feel like I'm just re-watching the old favourites, like, because yeah. it's, I'm like, my brain can't take on anything new, so I must go into safe spaces that I know and understand. So I I've need been... to see how it, I need to know how it plays out because yeah. I can't take any more stress. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I've been re-watching all the Doctor Who, well, not all of them. I started it. Um, what's his face? Eccleston. Eccleston. I always forget. And then I have to think of cakes and it make, it reminds me. I, I have been re-watching them as my safe thing of an evening in lockdown. It is popular. It is one of the most popular TV shows and one of the most kind of fan-driven TV shows out there, certainly within the last 20 years, I'd say, and beyond, because it's 50 years old. Um, but why do we think people love it so much? Because it's ultimate, like, at its core, it's a silly concept. It's this time-travelling uh, alien with a blue box that's bigger on the inside, zipping about through history in different galaxies, being chased by monsters. Not monsters, aliens and sometimes people which is silly and i think we'll get onto this with the whitaker stuff and why it maybe hasn't done as well not necessarily to do with her as an actor more to do with the storylines but predominantly these incidents these aliens are usually trying to take down the earth or humans and there is part of us that obviously is like, yeah, humans. Speak for yourself. Are we? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, when when a person, obviously now female, I was going to say a man, but when um, a person is on your screen, totally seeing the good in human beings, obviously recognising the bad as well and being disappointed, which is worse than shouting, um, being disappointed where he, when humans let him down, it encourages you to be like, yeah, we're good. We ultimately are good people and we want to fight for humanity and the earth. And I think there's something quite wholesome in it. Yeah. I That's such a lovely reason. <laughs> <laughs> I don't agree, however. <laughs> no, that's it's just so much nicer than the reason that I was going to give. Which is? I don't think this is the only reason, but um, I have seen it described as James Bond for nerds, and I think what like what that meant is like, you know, there is someone saving, you know, it's it's swashbuckly save the day, super cool gadgets, like high speed adventures, but for people who like you know like things that are considered traditionally nerdy, like sci fi. Um, but yeah, so I thought that that accounts for a lot of its popularity is James Bond for nerds in a world where that didn't really exist. Like before this is I'm talking before the Marvel movies happened in a way that made Marvel and comics accessible and popular and visually realized on a screen that people could enjoy. The character of Doctor Who appeals to not traditionally athletic or sporty or like strong or hero-y types because it's about wit and gadgetry, not just brawn. fighty fight. Brawn. Brawn is the word I'm looking for. Thank you. Um, yeah, so that's that's part of it. It's like a, an alternative kind of hero for the, for you know, if the world is split up in between brains and brawn, it's an alternative hero for the brains, not the brawn. And it's interesting that you mentioned the, the Bond thing because of obviously the... Uh which we'll talk about later, the, the controversy um, of casting a female doctor for the first time a couple of years ago, and there's a constant murmurs about female Bond. Well, that is that is where I heard that phrase was in the context of Whitaker's casting, which was, I'm not going to watch this anymore because I've always thought of Doctor Who as a James Bond for nerds, and casting a woman completely ruins it. But, you know... I still thought the James Bond for nerds things was quite poignant. I just don't see why that means that a woman can't be it. What about you, Sam? Why do you think it's so popular? I think it's um, 
it's popular because it's what it does that thing that a lot of um, franchises try to do, but not everything does well, which is where it appeals to both, like not to both, but to a lot of age ranges, age, age ranges. Um, <laughs> it appeals to a lot of age ranges. It's popular with the people who watched it as kids in the 60s, 70s and grew up with it. Um, it's popular with kids who started watching it in 2005. I mean, we were, what, 15 and we weren't kids, but we weren't grown-ups. Um, <laughs> and also it's popular. Teenagers, if you will. Teenagers. <laughs> and it continues to be popular with younger people because it has that that whimsy, that adventure side. But it also has a darker side as well. It has some, it's, it does that like nudge, nudge, wink, wink, Pixar thing where there are jokes in there that you probably don't get unless you are an adult. For something that is, quote, for nerds, it has a surprisingly universal appeal. Mm. Um, and it is, it's accessible, I think, in a way that a lot of sci-fi isn't. Like high sci-fi, I'm trying to think of an example of anything, like something like Dune, for example, that's coming out soon. That's not going to be for the whole family that's very specifically for people who enjoy sci-fi doctor who is for people who like storytelling i think more so than sci-fi yeah and it is shaky let's be honest Mm. it is shaky i think also like you know if you if you liken it to like star wars or whatever as much as i fucking love star wars and you don't always have to have watched the last one to understand what's happening currently Mm. in the new one um it definitely helps. Same with the Avengers films, with all that kind of franchise. If you miss a film, you're a bit fucked. Um, and I feel the same with like comics. And I feel the same, like, I feel like Doctor Who is a kind of pick up, put down. I, and mm. I know there are through lines, definitely. But it's a lot of the episodes can be quite standalone. They don't yeah. impact or bleed into each other. And so that therefore can be more accessible as well. Yeah, and I think that's really telling given like part of the reason that we're talking about it is because it always has a Christmas special. And so like it, it, that makes the point for both of you, it's family friendly. Like most of the episodes that I have actually like passingly watched or have any kind of awareness of are because I'm sat in the room reading a book whilst it's on on the TV because the rest of my family are watching it. But also, you know, it's, it's a whole family affair at Christmas. And then that's the thing like I can still get involved in that story even though I don't watch the rest of the show and the other episodes you know the other episode that I can clearly remember watching is the one where they go back to meet Shakespeare and like that was shown to me I'm pretty sure in school but like that again like that is some it's it's used as an educational tool or like in a setting that's not necessarily entertainment or like it's that thing about what you said Sam about storytelling um, it appeals to it. It was used as an example of storytelling and an example of adaptation theory and blah 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 because you know, nerd. But um, again, it was entertaining to watch that episode and educational, and you got a plot and you got an idea of what was going on, but you could leave it and leave it be and be satisfied with with that episode so i think but with what you know what you both said there is is really accurate as an outsider yeah i mean there's a great quote from the nearing the end of um i think it's nearing the end of matt smith's no it's not nearing the end it's the end of the first matt smith season when he thinks he's gonna die um but then spoiler he doesn't for another two seasons um and then, <laughs> you sound um, mad about that no i think matt smith was really good i do I, I just yeah anyway um where he says um we're all just stories in the end make it a good one um yeah. and i just I, that's one quote that i'm like oh, i just really like that and for a while i did consider getting it in gallifrey and on my leg so <laughs> as a tattoo Aww. um I, is that that's part of the is that part of the library episode maybe no he's sat by young amy pond's bed he time travels yes. back and he um it's oh gosh episode. yes i cried so much in that episode as well and that's another thing is it's really good at tugging on the heartstrings when it wants to sometimes you're like this is stupid and corny and overwrought and then other times you're just like oh god my heart oh <laughs> it's it- I think it comes back to what I was saying. It's like it searches for the good in people and then it throws it in front of your face and you're like, oh, my God, I really I feel for this person. It's a lot of it, some of not all of it, 
is beautiful storytelling and writing. Like like you said, Sam, about storytelling, the writing can sometimes be so on point that even in the space of 45 minutes, you're like, these characters that have just popped up in this one episode, I am bawling my eyes out because you're I thinking of Van Gogh again, aren't you? <laughs> I am thinking of Van Gogh again. But I'm thinking of many episodes. I'm thinking of many, many episodes that I'm just like, I totally don't want you to die. I want you to fight because that's the thing. It's all about fighting. It's all, you know, you run or you you fight for what you believe in and you really want them to win. A lot of the time they're the underdogs as well. You know, going back to what you were saying, Kim, about um, them not being, you know, them being the brains more more than the brawn. Like a lot of the times they can be the underdog and you want them to succeed. That's the other word that I was looking for when I was trying to explain the brains brawn thing is brains brawn underdog. You guys are just way better at words than me today, (laughs) clearly. um, (laughs) I feel like my little explanation offended a bunch of people. You guys put it really well. Well done. What, because you said nerds? (laughs) I said nerds like 60 times, yeah. I think nerds are okay with being called nerds now. Um, Yeah, and also, Alex, like you are saying about the, the good in people, I think also what it's good at doing is not necessarily being like humanity is brilliant it's saying what it does is kind of goes humanity has the potential to be really Mm. good but sometimes they're shit Mm. (laughs) and quite often they're shit and they need to be pulled back in line um and the shits aren't usually the massive bad guys it's just real people that make those decisions that we all do sometimes yeah. yeah like people who are scared and do stupid things or um you know there are there are the the two dimensional bodies as well but yeah so we've talked a bit about what we like about the show um what do we think it could do better because i think the site like the sci-fi element is like i said shod uh, not shoddy um it's (laughs) (laughs) i could write better (laughs) sci-fi it is very it's very tenuous the science side of the science fiction is <laughs> questionable. I mean, I remember watching a documentary about it. I think it was around the 50th anniversary um, in which the, some of the writers were like, well, we we can't explain the way we want the doctor to do something sometimes. So we just write in a line about reversing the polarity. And if you <laughs> want that, oh like, my God, there's so much of that. So, so much of that. And they've just gone, ah, he needs to fix it. Reverse the polarity, and it's a bit like that. Um, J.K. Rowling wave a magic wand, say a word, and everything's fine. Kind of magic, like yeah. that. Yeah. Isn't there a isn't there a line in it? So I think my phone was listening to me because I suddenly started getting um, Doctor Who stuff on my Instagram Explore page, <laughs> and there was I don't know if it was an incorrect like one of those incorrect quote ones or if it was a real quote where it was like the door opens up and he says it's Tenon and he says it's an interdimensional portal something or other and so and so goes oh what's that and he goes don't know sounded much fancier than magic door (laughs) I don't know if that's a real quote or not but it was put over a David Tennant scene in Doctor Who and I was like that is that is 100% my understanding of Doctor Who's grasp of science fiction and wibbly wobbly timey-wimey yeah I th- I think that's it. Yeah, I I don't remember that specific scene, but that doesn't mean that it didn't happen because it seems like it quite possibly could have. Um, I think that's why the Doctor has the companions to help explain quote the um the wibbly wobbly timey wimey sciencey stuff. But then if they seem confused, it's a very easy writer out to just go, "Oh, it's too complicated. I can't explain it." Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that I think, like I know Alex, you said sometimes there's some beautiful writing, and I think that comes from the humanity or the characterization side of it the actual plot points sometimes and the science uh yeah you can see why it has a reputation for being cheesy yeah definitely I totally agree I think um and I suppose that's what makes it so accessible though isn't it because you don't need to understand the science to totally buy into it if anything, you suddenly feel slightly cleverer because you're like, oh, well, I understood what reversal is <laughs> and I understood that there's some time stuff. So <laughs> I'm basically, it's like university challenge. I guess that. So <laughs> I basically right. am the doctor. Um, I do think sometimes my favourite episodes are the ones that I, the writing that is beautiful that makes me cry that is about humanity, but the ones that are like really clever in the not necessarily grounded in science but 
almost the ones that you kind of like a murder a good murder mystery you guess how it's going to be solved um i suppose those are the more science fictiony ones uh, to an extent so and then yeah. we, of course the uh, the agatha christie episode as well. yeah like the literal murder mystery which was a little bit pissed off that it was about a giant wasp to be honest Where, whereas one of my favorite episodes is um the queen victoria werewolf business and i think yeah? i think it's well i think it's because i really love like mythology and um like fairy tale and that kind of fiction, like this kind of magic kind of side. And and where Doctor Who kind of crosses those boundaries and almost tries to explain our old wives' tales and things like that, I think it's really clever because suddenly you're like, oh, I've heard a story like that. And actually it can be explained by Doctor Who. And that's quite cool. I do often hear stories of people getting trapped in Scottish manor houses with a telescope and a werewolf. Yeah. <laughs> But you've heard of werewolves. <laughs> have I? Maybe I have. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so to explain that as an alien or or some kind of like thing that has taken control of a human that is an alien species, obviously that is still just as ri- ridiculous. It explains stuff that you recognise. It's like it's like good comedy when they go they talk about like something that you can relate to in your everyday life. You're like, ah, that's so true. Just like can't... observational science fiction, is that what you're there saying? You go. That's what I like. Observational science fiction that I feel like I am solving like university challenge. I feel like this is very niche. Uh... <laughs> Kim, you're looking thoughtful. Do you have anything? I was I was enjoying your conversation. Um okay. <laughs> from my from my outsider's perspective, again. I feel like every assistant at some point falls in love with the doctor and maybe kisses mm. them or wants them to kiss them or there's always a will they won't they and like that's cute and all and I get it and then the flip side is that the assistant is a young pretty woman and it's a bit um it's just a bit hero worshipy wish fulfillmenty mm. Queen of the rom-coms over here, but even I can see how that would get a little bit tired on an iteration of however many Doctors there are now, 13. Yeah, it's definitely something that has particularly happened since the reboot, because in the original seasons, that kind of salaciousness wasn't really there. Mm. Um, Not in the same way, although, you know, they did have scantily clad cave women and that kind of thing. But yeah, that that's kind of been much more of a through arc in the late in the later ones yeah I think, and I think like making them younger as well like the act the doctors playing the uh, the, yeah. playing the doctors like to compare to another thing that i also have only a passing knowledge of and have only read one book and seen one film um like the uh da vinci code series of books by dan brown like the trope about that is oh it's he, you know, what young, attractive brunette with a ponytail is he going to fall in love with this time? And it's like, it feels like that. I'm pretty sure Donna and the Doctor don't kiss. No, they don't. Yeah. And she's very adamant that she has no inkling. Like, <laughs> You're not going to mate with me, sunshine. <laughs> I, I think what it is is yeah. because it followed Martha that received so much criticism about that forced relationship. And to be honest. I agree with you very slightly, Kim, but I think the only forced relationship was maybe Martha and David Tennant. But um, I I feel that Donna, therefore, was so... Like, she would literally, every single episode would be like, I don't fancy you in any way possible. Yeah, you're like a coat hanger. (laughs) I don't necessarily mean that, like, the writing or anything is bad and makes, makes the relationships feel forced. I just don't think that it's necessary that every pairing has to be romantic. Just because there is a presenting male and a presenting female and they are both presenting straight does not mean that they have to have any kind of romantic or sexual tension for it to be an interesting story. From the episodes that I've seen, it always seems to be like a question. And it's like, well, maybe it could just not be. For there, are, there are several. I, you said you've seen it mainly the early, like not the earlier ones, but you saw a lot of Eccleston in which, yes, there was that whole rose the doctor thing um and then that carried on through with ten and, and then yeah there was martha and her annoying unrequited love but then also when you look at it the doctor was a dick about it so mm, it was. um and then you had um 
Donna, who uh, was like the whole thing was very much like and was said in the first episode where she joined, he was like, I just want a mate. And she was like, yeah, well, you're not going to mate with me, sunshine. That was the point. Is it like they were just friends? The whole There was none of that tension. Mm. Um, and she was there for a season. And then you had Clark, no, Amy. Next. Amy. Yeah, there was sexual tension there between her and Smith. At first. At, at first. first. And but then, then as went. soon as Rory came on board, it kind of dissipated and then Clara had it a bit as well um and then she got really pissed off when Smith regenerated into Capaldi because she was like who's this old dude <laughs> yeah and then there was no sexual tension and then there was nothing from Capaldi at all like and then he had Bill was the next who, who was female um but she was gay is that right yes yeah um and not that that's See, like, this is the point at which I point to get around it. Yeah, this is the point um, at which I left Tumblr and have no idea what happens. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, and then and then you have Whitaker, who I don't think has any kind of sexual tension with um, Ryan or no. Kevin. No, no, not that. Not that I have seen. Again, I haven't seen much of Whitaker because I, the writing annoyed me, and I need to get back on board with it. Yeah, well, I, I don't I think, think there's something really of it is kind been... of. It's kind of grown They've out. Grown out of it. Yeah, it's grown yeah. out. Grown Which I out. thought I thought might have been the case. It's just it, like it's a criticism that I'm aware of, mm. and a thing that has put me off keeping watching it. And on that note, I think it's time for us to take a break and maybe have a wee and refresh our glasses. Not with wee, because that's weird. And we'll be back in a minute to talk some more about Doctor Who. So we're back from our break. Uh, how is everyone finding their respective wines? Kim, I know we're both on the Starcatcher, and Alex, you are on the n- untitled um, Chilean Sauvignon Blanc project. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's it's very dry. It's one on the dry scale, I've read oh. on the back. Yeah. Oh. Um, it's citrusy and dry. I feel very thirsty. That's what you want when you're drinking, isn't it? <laughs> More liquid is needed. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm almost finished the bottle. It's really got about a glass left. It's okay. Uh, okay. Great face there, Kim. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. How's your stargazer? Catch- Starcatcher. Shit. I'm drinking. To be fair, to be fair, it's got a telescope on the label, so it should really be called stargazer. <laughs> it should. I'm just I'm just saying it's not. Do you catch stars with a telescope? No. Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket. Yeah, I agree that it should be called Stargazer. Uh, it is, in fact, called Starcatcher. I'm finding it perfectly fine, question mark. Like, I'm not enjoying it. I wouldn't buy it again. It's not making me shudder with every sip. And I love your sex tape. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's just a bit nothing. It's just a bit bland. I don't know. Like, I, as I mentioned, I have paired this with a particularly delectable dinner of Big Mac and fries so I think maybe like the salt content of that is negatively affecting my appreciation mm. of this wine but I think it might be the yeah. wine mate <laughs> well yeah what do you think I had venison sausages and it still tastes like shit Ooh, you're so <laughs> wow fancy. Well, originally how I had the other lovely... half lives I had this healthy meal planned and then we went to M&S to get this wine and I made the mistake <laughs> of taking my taking my partner who then disappeared down the meat aisle and came back with sausages. I was like, oh, bless. Well, I guess we're having that. <laughs> so I've had this much. Wow. A large glass, maybe. Which is, which is basically what I have left in my bottle. Yeah, it is. This is not the red wine for me. This is not the one. Um, this feels like house red wine. Which sometimes can be fine, granted, but I don't. I just don't think I'm very good on Shiraz. I don't think I like Shiraz. The thing is, I don't feel like this is a particularly Shirazy Shiraz, and I think that's that's arguably give him the old Shirazzle dazzle. <laughs> it's not giving me the old Shirazzle dazzle though. It it's... is. Um, it's not giving me the Shirazzle dazzle. It's it's just a bit bland. Whereas I I consider Shiraz, love it or hate it, to be quite flavoursome. It definitely does not seem like it's the wine for you. Maybe you should switch. I think I'm going to switch. I have a bottle of um, 
another M&S wine, wine actually to my well I have another bottle of backup wine but I'm worried that I might drink the whole thing and considering we're halfway through it might be a bit much um so I'm going to drink this one that's already half gone which is called uh, Dog on the Tucker Box oh I've had that yeah it's Pinot Grigio okay so we are having not the best evening with our wines but I think we are enjoying our Doctor Who chatty chat times so let's continue with that um and let's talk a bit about female characters in Doctor Who, because the obviously the, the key um, person you might think of when you say that is the 13th Doctor, the current, the Doctor in residence, as it were, which is um, Jodie Whittaker, who is the first female Doctor, and we'll talk a bit more about her in a bit. But there are a lot of female side characters um, and companions um, within the Doctor Who canon. What do you, How do you think the show does with its representation of women i can only speak for modern modern doctor who and what i've what i've seen and what i've seen on tumblr but like i do think that even alongside my criticism of like love story and the obvious criticism that until now the they'd always been relegated to sidekick um, until the most recent iteration. I still think that the variation of characters in terms of personality and like interests and looks and everything, aside from skewing towards mid twenties and, and pretty like generally has been quite interesting. Like from what I've seen, like, and I'm thinking the series that I did see, as I said, was the was nine um, with Billy Piper. And I love Billy Piper. Like, it's a really weird thing, but I really enjoy her as an actress. And I, I enjoyed her character because I don't think that she was any kind of stereotype as a character. They could have made her a traditionally pretty ditzy sidekick. They could have made her more of a tomboy but she falls somewhere in the middle and has that romantic you know has a romantic subplot and is is quite no nonsense is intelligent but not bookish and street smart and interested in certain thing you know like certain traditionally feminine things as well as being not bothered by it and I just thought that she was quite a she was a really well-rounded character from what I could tell and from everything I've gleaned about Amy Pond is a similar um positive but that's pretty much all I know like I know I know of others and I know that there is a lot of criticism around the treatment of Martha but then you guys talked about Donna earlier as a different kind of character. Um, so I do think that there is a variation. There is obvious, and I do not want to ignore the obvious criticism of mostly white, mostly young, mostly generic, um, like traditionally attractive and mostly hetero. I think there's, I mean, the main, the main uh, companions, yes, to start with, it was, Rose, young pretty girl, white. Then you had Martha, young pretty girl, black. Then you had Donna. Can we say middle-aged for Donna? I think we can. Uh, ish. I mean, like, end of 30s. 30s. <laughs> yeah. Like, Our age. Oh, guys, no, sorry. Just... I, think, I think that counts as middle-aged. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think it does. She's uh, early middle-aged. Uh, but it's Catherine Tate of peak Catherine Tate era and then you had what was her name Clara um no Amy shit I Amy. Think Amy Amy young white pretty then you had Clara who was bi or pan it was never quite discussed I don't think I got that far in my knowledge yeah. of Clara sorry uh I think apparently she had an affair with Jane Austen um <laughs> it's one of the I'll buy it things. that's yeah. fine with that yeah good. I think that's that's alluded to in an episode um and then you had Bill, who was black and queer. And then after that, you have Jake. No, not Jake. Ryan. Why am I calling him Jake? Ryan. Um, and also Yaz for a little bit. And Yaz, who is uh, both of whom are people of colour. So Later season clearly new... improving, yeah. I think, is in, in diversity and inclusion efforts. Still, still fairly light 
on the disability front. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, Ryan has dyspraxia, doesn't he? But Yeah, because the whole first episode is about him r- riding a bike. I think, like, um, being classed as a sidekick, like, you know, the Robin to the Batman, is a hard... An assistant is a is a weird title, really, because I think a lot of the storylines and the story arcs of um, the series is in general, not, you know, some of the standalone episodes, but, like, the particular doctors with their assistant, um, they are, like, joint protagonists. They're, like, they're, like the main story, like, the, their whole self is centered in the story arc so there was there was a move when they re relaunched the whole um show to move away from the term assistant because that's what had been used in the past mm. and they use the word companion or friend or like it's more obviously they're still secondary characters it's not called like the doctor and clara or whatever but there was a slight shift in terminology i wonder if it's traditionally been female because I don't think that the female is the lesser character or lesser person as a representation. I wonder if it's just because predominantly the Doctor has been male and they just want to balance, you know, representation in an episode, in a series. Um, I do think there is a downfall with Martha and I purely, and we've spoken about this, it is just writing. I I think I've seen her in other things. I think in moments, I totally respect her acting. I think she was thrown into this kind of, you will love this person. And we didn't buy it. Because for every other person, like Kim, you spoke about how um, there is a downfall of like every person falling in love with the doctor to an extent there is some kind of attraction in some of the like with some of the people that he comes across it, not just the assistants but even the characters within like individual episodes you know like the one with um Kylie Minogue and stuff like that whereas there was no build with Martha it just felt the writing felt very there was no there was no character development and i am pissed off with the writers for not allowing her the space to just act and just find that and just play with that. Um, And so, yes, I think those episodes deserve the backlash. I don't think the actor that plays Martha deserves that backlash. Oh, absolutely. Doesn't Martha, like, fall in love with the Doctor on first First episode? First episode, yeah. So they are... Because she's the Doctor, isn't she? She's a Doctor, isn't she? She's a Doctor in a hospital that gets taken to the moon and then the Doctor has to kiss her because of science. Um, (laughs) Oh, I hate it when you have to kiss people because of science. Oh, it's just science, sorry. Can't do that now. You can't kiss people now because of science. Oh, yeah. Frowned on that. That is true. That wouldn't fly now, Doctor. Um, but, yeah, and then she, he, and then he runs away after he's kissed her, and he, she just goes, "That been nothing." And it's just really, oh, it's really. Yeah. Fucking... If a stranger fucking kissed me, I'd be like, "Fuck off, mate." Like, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, to be fair, if David Tennant ran, ran up and was like, "I have to kiss you because of science," I'd be like, "Oh no, science!" Oh. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> Did science mention tongue? So yeah, she does that kind of dynamic is set up from the first thing and then he just spends the whole season moping about Rose and like, yeah, so the whole thing with Martha's season is at the end she's set up to essentially save the day single-handedly because the Doctor has been withered to a tiny little man in a cage um, by the Master and Martha has to travel the world for a year to put the idea of saying the Doctor at the same time in everyone's head and she's positioned as this person who who saves everyone and yet when you talk to people about their least favorite companion most people are going to say martha but on that front they did fuck her over one more time they just thought you know what we want to do with martha is just give her one little jab because she comes back in season three for a couple of episodes and she's engaged to a big welsh doctor but then they bring her back again for the end of season four when donna leaves and they have all the former companions together and they've just married her and mickey her and Mickey somehow are just 
just hitched and you're like have you just taken the two black characters and put them together who, that's what it who seems like. literally had no nothing chemistry to do with each other. or no it was lazy it was so lazy it was very lazy that, they felt that martha got dicked over as it yeah she did i'm really pissed off for her i think one of the other things about female characters that not just the companions is and we've talked about this before a few times is the idea of female villains and how you don't see as many female villains as you do male and when you do they're normally motivated either by by children or by men i was thinking about this and i was like the female characters that the doctor fights or the characters who are presented to us as female anyway quite often have that as well uh so ones i can think of off the top of my head Mm. um there's the nanny who creates the adipose, um, which are oh, <laughs> the uh, weird, came... weirdest episode. Weird episode. Here's another reason why I don't watch this. I don't need that shit in my brain. <laughs> I mean, if my are you my mummy walk... shit is scary enough already. Like, I just don't. <laughs> oh, are you my mummy? Yeah, that's. Oh, are you my mummy with one. the gas mask? Yeah, terrifying. And there's one um, that's another, no, it's a, an Amy and Rory episode where called The Vampires of Venice, where there's this mysterious school for girls and then the girls suddenly develop this aversion to sunlight and have massive teeth. Uh, it turns out they're not vampires, they're fish people. Um, but the woman running it, who is played by Helen McCrory, who is great, is doing it because she has 10,000 sons swimming around in the canals of venice and wants brides for them but there's also, there loads yeah, but well. there's also episodes like you know the woman that uh then controls the cybermen in victorian era oh that, you, know, you know she's yeah. purely driven by herself and power and money there, there um, are those but they are they are far fewer i think yeah maybe um and, and then you've got like missy who's just insane and great love Missy so much but the master is a another character altogether and time lord yeah so on on the villain front alex you wanted to talk about there was a specific villain that you wanted to bring up for the episode and do you want to go into that and i think we all know where it's going (laughs) so well are the weeping angels female completely i don't think they are no i don't feel like they have a gender or they need a gender they're just the angels they are just the angels. So I suppose people may assume they're female um, because a lot of the time they're depicted in their stone form um, as women or, or they look, I mean... In, well, they're in all a, wearing like long robes. So Yeah, and, and, and have long hair. Like. And so they present as kind of more of a female stature. Um, but the weeping angels are terrifying and I think this comes back to what I was talking about about not necessarily old wives tales but there is the episode blink in which the doctor and Martha don't really feature it's completely other characters and sometimes those are my favorite episodes actually because I think they're so just ridiculous and exciting because you're like it's not what you're expecting but right at the end of the episode the doctor and Martha are saying don't blink don't even move your eyes or whatever it is and then it shows snippets of actual statues that we see in everyday life and it suddenly becomes a horror and you're like fucking hell these aliens are out to get me in everyday life and I think it's genius I love it I love it so much I think it's molding it's not really sci-fi but you know as a series it's uh, you know known to be sci-fi and then molding it into the horror and then also making it kind of more ex- like accessible for all ages because a child could watch that be fucking terrified but also you know it's still for them it's awesome. also like fucking living statues you know those performances it's like oh my god they're horrible it. i hate that them so much terrifying. um yeah and that's a uh, doctor who does have quite a few legitimately terrifying episodes that's one of them there are you my mummy also really fucking trippy. I do not like that one at all. It's a no from me. So then, the main female character in the Doctor Who canon um, is, of course, the female iteration of the Doctor themselves. Themselves. Themselves? Themselves. The person of the Doctor, um, which 
was announced um, a couple of years ago uh, as Jodie Whittaker taking over from Peter Capaldi. Um, she's been doing it for two seasons now, with the third season coming, which was meant to be released this year, but obviously because of COVID fuckery, has not been. So she will be back in the next year with a new season. What do we think about the casting of a, of a female actor in a role that has traditionally um, only been played by white men and she's white as well to point out there is still no um diversity in that sense but doctor of color doctor of color yeah exactly doc speaking purely because i know nothing about whitaker i think it's great why the fuck did it take so long i'm disappointed to hear that the writing may have been subpar and I slightly wonder whether that is weird sabotage because I'm a paranoid dickhead. But other than that, yeah, I think, you know, I can't believe it took this long. It's what I find weird about all the uproar with it when she was cast and everyone was like, oh, it's just, you know. I'm never going to watch God. Doctor Who again because everything is terrible and it's ruined for me because I can't get my fucking jollies off pretending I'm the Doctor. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Which all of us do, you know. Um but yeah, all those people on the Daily Mail and wherever else who are like, oh, it's political correctness gone mad. Oh, Mrs. Who, or whatever the hell they were saying. Because <laughs> ladies can't be doctors. Um, <laughs> I heard that one. I think I'd seen Nurse Who, which, oh, which makes also me very angry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely bollocks. I was going to go bollicular, and I was like, that's not a word, but I like it. That is bollicular. Um, bollicular. Yeah, <laughs> all these people getting in a tiz about the casting of, of of cis woman in a male role. You're like, this is a show about aliens, and the thing that's making you distressed is a human woman. <laughs> what is just, wrong with you? This what is you legitimately mean? my most hated thing about sci-fi and fantasy specific criticisms where it comes into gender and race um what sad puppies i think they're called or something um who this is a group of people who were spamming the hugo awards trying to block out people of color from winning because god forbid that your fantasy about witches has a person of black people in it like it and it's like the casting of game of thrones like there are literal actual dragons whether or not someone has dark colored skin should not be the thing that you are questioning here and yeah it is it is absolute bullshit your mind can can accept that a police box which you've never seen in your fucking life (laughs) is bigger on the inside than the outside and that it can travel through space and time, and that someone can regenerate in lots of different ways, why can you not accept that that person can regenerate without a penis? Yeah, it's utterly baffling to me why people kicked off about it, but there we go. Alex, what's your... You're shaking your head. No, I'm... uh, No, sorry, I'm shaking my head in terms of agreeing with everything you guys are saying. I haven't watched enough of the new series to massively comment but I did drop off because of the writing and I think it comes down to what I was saying at the beginning it's not to do with Jodie it's actually to do with the fact that so much of the new series or the newer series bar one was set on other planets was to do with other aliens being in jeopardy was stuff that I kind of I do not care about other aliens on other pa- on other planets, but it's it's another step removed. It's kind of like actually, if it was set in you know in on Earth, mm-hmm. I'd be like I buy into it. I want mm-hmm. them to survive. I want them to save the day. Or and and also a lot of it was focused on this new kind of unit that was um, Jodie as the Doctor and. Um, the kind of two assistants and their family members coming along with them on the journey. It was almost too many people to uh, buy into. 
And the first episode you meet them, the first episode of Jodie, you're like, oh, okay, these are the new family, these are the new assistants. Whereas a lot of the other ones, you've had time to, You've got an get to know the doctor and who they are in this kind of sphere and then suddenly introduce these other characters. Mm. Whereas I feel like it was just too soon, it was just too rushed and it was just too new to be like, this isn't the doctor I know and it's also not the people I know and it's also not the scenario I, I know. So you've, I don't yeah. buy into it. You've talked about before how you how you enjoy things less when you can't relate to them. And that sometimes sometimes your metric for relating to things is is whether they're placed in something that's familiar to you. And sometimes it's not that the place is familiar to you, but the feeling is. And it sounds to me like the newest seasons take away all the things that even make Doctor Who familiar to you, but none of those things are the gender of the Doctor. Pretty much. I think... I think the personality is always going to be slightly different per doctor. Yeah, which is, is kind of the be, point. There's always going to be um, little things that you recognise. And I think Jodie does really fucking well on that. I think the overlap in the first episode with her after she takes over from Capaldi has little kind of whispers of Matt Smith, has uh, whispers of Capaldi as well. And I'm like, great, totally on that journey with you. I think it's just kind of, as they take it forward, you're just, it's almost counter against what I said before, that each episode should be standalone, that you can buy into this personality, this person, trust them in each episode. Actually, with the new Jodie series, the writers have been like, actually, I would rather you were on this journey completely all the way through to be able to kind of really buy into it. Mm. I think I think this is a this is a really difficult thing for for the writers, for um, Jodie Whittaker, for everyone involved in this, because you either go down the route of, fuck it, we're starting again, we're going to, you know, make, we're going to let her put her own stamp on this and this female Doctor is going to be something completely new because that's the way it has to be, that's how we have to do it. Or you've got these elements of the same like say continuing with the same companion or um the same even like even the titles are different even the the credits have have changed in the new series and they do change every so often with the new doctors um if you do that yes you have that familiarity that allows your audience to kind of feel comfortable with this new doctor but then as because this is a female doctor because this is a doctor in an iteration that you've not seen before you run the risk of it being called derivative so it's really hard I think to get that exactly right and I don't know if they did but I'm also not saying I could do it any fucking better (laughs) yeah that's true I mean we're criticizing I don't think I could do it better either but uh when we're not right well Mm. we're we're not doctor who writers I do I do think when I heard that Jodie Whittaker had announced as the doctor I was skeptical not because she's a woman but because I was skeptical about her as an actress, because I've seen oh, an actor, sorry, um, I've seen various bits of hers, and I've always been like, she's good, she doesn't blow me away. But then I also remember having that feeling about Tennant, because I remember being like, oh, what really that guy? And then I watched, and I was like, oh my god, I love him. Oh. <laughs> so I think there are actors, female actors, that I would have. If they'd been announced as the Doctor, I would have been like, fuck yeah, but Jodie Whittaker wasn't one of them. So I was a little bit reserved, but not because of it being a female Doctor, but because of the name that was attached to it. I think it's also because she, what, she was known for, what, Holby City? and Broad, like She was in Broadchurch with David Tennant. Oh, <laughs> I, th- I think the Doctor is such a character that we have in our mind, regardless of the iteration that the actor brings to it. And if that actor that we've seen in other things doesn't kind of match up to that, we're like, really? That's odd. Rewatching the first episode with Jodie Whittaker again tonight, I'm like, she has the potential to really be that. And like I said, she has kind of like whispers of all those other doctors before her. And I think she plays it really well. I have no doubt that she would have been able to do that, even though I had the preconception that you did, Sam. Yeah, I'm just sad that... The writing let her down, but I haven't watched the newest season. So I may be proved wrong. 
So we've talked a lot about various different characters tonight. Obviously, this being Doctor Who, we have only scratched the surface because there are hundreds of episodes and therefore potentially thousands of characters, as you can tell. My maths is excellent. But do any of us have any particular standout characters of any gender or any uh, race or species um, that we have enjoyed throughout the Doctor Who series? I really enjoyed The Master in both Mm. iterations, both in male and female iterations. I do really like Van Gogh. I, 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 I think what it is is... Again, going back to, I I feel like when we actually hit on real people and bring them to life and bring them to life well, I'm like, oh, yes, I believe in it. That rawness of the depression of Van Gogh and then the beauty of like what he does and everything. And you're just like, fucking hell, this has got me. Kim, how about you? Not exactly. I've mentioned before that I really enjoy Rose. Um, because I enjoy Billy Piper and I, from what I've seen, think that I probably would quite enjoy Rory. Um, yeah. Oh, I think because he's right. I, yeah, that's it. He's the boy he's waited, really... right? So he, he was like a centurion for like a hundred years whilst someone was in yeah, some kind of yeah. cryogenesis. He was a good guy. He was something such a good like guy. He seems like, you know how I've always said, I like a, I like me a side character. Like he almost seemed like the side character of that trio. An under, he played got, up quite a lot in the story. Yeah, yeah. He's got like an underdoggy underdogness, and he's a good guy, and uh, he's patient, and he's loving, and he's kind, and blah blah. blah. But he's also a hero, and he's the kind of guy that would be like, I'm a punch you with a book. He's your nerdy best friend, and or like, yeah, he's he's a sidekick, sidekick, and uh, I love me that kind of person. So I just feel like I would like him. But I, as I said earlier, I've not actually watched any of those episodes that I can remember clearly. I'm going to go with Rory. <laughs> what about you, Sam? Oh, God, I have a lot. Um, I love Missy, again, for the many reasons we mentioned and the reason we talked about it when we talked about Sabrina. Um, I really enjoy River as well. River Song. Mm. And then, like, yeah, there were lots of lots of characters and I can't think of any of them now I enjoyed Shakespeare oh yeah <laughs> he was played well he was played well yeah or am yeah. I wrong like every so often in his episode he's like oh can I use that or something like that yeah and yeah and they um there was a really good line in that episode <laughs> I'm sure you might have read about it but like where the doctor goes oh can we just stop the flirting because of him and Martha because of Shakespeare and Martha and there'll be time for that later and then Shakespeare's like oh is that a promise doctor and then um the doctor just goes oh 43 academics just punched the air because there are 43 academics that have posited that Shakespeare was bisexual yeah yeah yes I I remember this yeah so there's lots of one-off characters and I think my favorite doctor well I know this wasn't the question but I think my favorite doctor is always going to be David Tennant yeah me too So that's the end of the show for tonight. But before we go, we have some wine to rate. And let's rate Doctor Who, because why the fuck not? (laughs) So uh, I'll go first. And I'm going to rate the Starcatcher from Stellar Organics, uh, which is dog shit. So it's getting a one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I'm sorry. I I had a glass and then I had to switch to a slightly less shit white wine. It's still fairly bad. Um. But yeah, one star from me. Oh, one great. And what's your um, Doctor Who rating? Yeah, my Doctor Who rating is, I know it's not perfect, but I do really love it every time I watch it. And when I sit down and binge it, I love it even more. So I'm going for, oh God, um, 3.5 or 4? I'm going 4. I'm feeling generous. Not with the my wine. Be generous. 4 for that. Um, Kim? I might as well rate the Starcatcher next. Uh, I didn't hate it quite quite as much as you did i have to say i did give a glass of it to my partner during the break um so i've had two glasses of it it's got drier it's Mm. you know when alex does that thing when she drinks red wine before she's like it sucks all the moisture out of your mouth this is how i feel this one is which i never feel about red wine so it's not the best i'm gonna give it two which it might be a 2.5 because i have drunk it and it's perfectly inoffensive but it's not worth the money that 
was paid for it or the promise of the label. It doesn't match at all with the tasting notes. And it certainly doesn't match really with Doctor Who because I think even having not watched Doctor Who and not being particularly interested in Doctor Who, you know, like I've watched a season and a bit, let's say, I probably watched the equivalent of about two seasons or a season and a half or two seasons in my entire life. And yet I still have good feelings about it. Like I enjoy it. I respect it. I think I have a soft spot for most of the actors because of my understanding of them in those roles. So I'm going to give it like a 3.5, even having never watched it, just like pop culture. The pop culture impact is huge. I just feel like it's a, it's, it's trying to do something good in the world. Um, I'm going to give my Chilean Sauvignon Blanc from Co-op. Uh, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give it a two point five. Middle of the road, fine, whatever. Four, four. I think it was like four eighty five or something Jesus. like that. Two point five for four pound wine. <laughs> yeah, but it was okay. Like it's 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 reasonably okay. It's quite citrus. It's quite dry, but it's like. I'm, maybe I'm just more accustomed to cheap shit. <laughs> like, and so that's why I rate it higher. Who knows? Well, um, <laughs> I'm going to give my beloved Doctor Who. It's hard because I've been binge watching it so much recently that I'm almost a little bit like, oh, maybe I'll move on. So I'm earing towards a four. Whereas if you'd asked me, Three weeks ago, I probably would have said 4.5. I'm going to go with a four just because of the issues of the future episodes that I'm yet to binge and I know exist. Um, but I love it so much. B plus. <laughs> yeah. yeah I think B plus. they're trying, which that's, that's what I like. So that's the end of the show this week. But if you're listening on an Apple device and you want to give us a rating, then please do. And maybe leave us a review because we love to know what you think. You can also follow us on social media. We are on Instagram at Grape Culture Podcast. We're on Twitter at Grape Culture Pod. Or if you want to check out any of our show notes and where you can find the wine we've had this week, although maybe not this week, you can head <laughs> over to our website, which is www.grapeculturepodcast.co.uk. And we'll be back in a week's time for our final episode of 2020. Ooh. so don't forget to come back then and in the meantime have a lovely two weeks and we'll see you then bye-bye bye-bye <laughs>